Okay, guys, if you've turned in your Bible to Luke chapter 1, we're going to turn there in his, here just a few moments. We'll be in verses 34 through 38 today. The title of the message is The Miraculous Conception. The Miraculous Conception. And I, want, I wanted to revisit the confession, that we, the paragraph that I read last week. Because as I mentioned earlier, we are, we're looking at the virgin birth today. Uh, and, and it's not every week that, that you deal with that when you're going through the Scriptures. So I thought it would be good to revisit this, this paragraph in the confession. Because really, we're going to see a lot of this language in the text today. So this is the London Baptist Confession, chapter 8, paragraph 2. It says this, The Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is truly and eternally God. He is the brightness of the Father's glory, the same in substance and equal with Him. He, speaking of the Son of God, He made the world and sustains and governs everything He has made. We just read that in John 1. When, <clears throat> when the fullness of time came, He took upon Himself human nature with all the essential properties and common weaknesses of it, but without sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The Holy Spirit came down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. Thus, He was born of a woman from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of Abraham and David, in fulfillment of the Scriptures. Two whole Perfect and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person without converting one into the other or mixing them together to produce a different or blended nature. This person is truly God and truly man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and humanity. So we'll probably revisit some of those truths today, but that, that really just is a very good explanation of what took place through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It's the Son of God who has eternally existed came and as we'll see a little later, God gave Him a body, a human body. It's miraculous. The miraculous conception. You know, we, we talked about last week, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're in Luke now, Continuing on, we're finishing this conversation that Gabriel is having with Mary. And we saw last week, just by way of reminder, that Mary was a recipient of grace, was she not? He said it twice. In verse 28, greetings, favored one. That means, favor means grace. And then, and then also, in verse 30, you have found favor with God. So we talked about that last week, how Mary is just a recipient of God's grace. Not a, not a dispenser of grace. She's not the giver of grace, but, but she was a recipient of the grace. We also, we also saw her humility last week in verse 29. Remember when it says she was perplexed at this statement? Because she understood who she was. She's just a young, young peasant girl. And as we're gonna, we, we talked about last week, we'll even see more today, just her humility. She was a servant of the Lord. And so she was thinking, why me? What's so special about me? And so we're going to read further today. We're going to read down verses 34 through 38, guys. And just, I want you to ask this question. You probably know the answer if you're halfway familiar with this account. But it'll help by way of application when we just think about our own lives. As we read further, just ask these questions. Does she believe? Does she believe what the angel told her? Does she, does she trust and does she obey God? And, um, or does she demand, like some people do, does she demand more from God or from the angel than what, than what he shared with her. In other words, I, I don't believe you. Uh, kind of like Zacharias was before. You know, Zacharias, we saw earlier that he just was operating in unbelief. He didn't believe the promise of the angel from God. That's why God made him mute. But we're going to see a, a, a really a different story in the life of Mary. We're going to really see a picture. To answer the question, we're going to see a picture of of how much she really did believe what God said, that she really does trust God, and it leads to her obedience. 
And that's really the truth today, guys, that I think we can take out of this text. I always try to think of a truth by way of, really by way of application that you can take home from this text. And I think it's this. You are called, guys, you and I, we are called to believe, right? To trust and to obey God. That's what we're called to do as Christians, right? Not necessarily to understand every mystery about God that we don't have answers for. And so that can get us in a lot of trouble. If we demand God to answer our questions that are not even in His Word, instead of just believing what is recorded in His Word and obeying, that's a much better route to go. So that's what we're called to do, guys. We're called to believe, trust, and obey God and not to fully understand every single mystery about Him. Because as we're going to see, there are things in His Word that we cannot fully comprehend. And God, He doesn't expect us to. But He does expect us to walk by faith and trust Him. And so let's look at the text today. Luke chapter 1, verses 34 through 38. So we're continuing on from the conversation that Gabriel is having with her. He had just told her, you know, hey, you're, don't, don't fear. You found favor in the Lord. You're going you're gonna to conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus. And then he's going to be the, the, the fulfillment, the, the, the son of David. His kingdom will have no end. And then in verse 34, we pick up there today. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child should be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we're going to look at three points today, three responses. And the first one is this in verse 34. We're just going to see Mary's question. Mary's question that she has in response to what the angel Gabriel had told her in the above verses. And she says this, Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? I think what we have here, guys, is just a very simple, honest question for Mary. I don't think it's... This is not coming from unbelief. The fact that she didn't believe the promise, like Zacharias, like we talked about earlier, she understood the implication of the angel's statement, in other words, guys, that she would conceive, but without the help of a man. She she had that understanding. And so I I think, as we're going to see, I think it's going to become more clear that she believed what the angel told her, but she just needed further explanation. Okay, I'm a virgin. <laughs> so how's this going to happen? That, I think that's really the, the, where it's coming from. She was a woman of faith. As um, we're just going to see more and more in, in this text, we saw it some last week, we'll see it in her Magnificat where she sings her song to the Lord. She was a woman of faith. And she, and I think as a result, she would have obviously known the promise in Isaiah 7.14. The promise. You remember the promise in Isaiah 14? A virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Because when we read that song that she sings, you're going to see how familiar she was with the Old Testament. She's quoting it. She would have been familiar with this, with this, this promise in Isaiah 7.14. And so she's thinking, I'm the virgin. I'm her, in other words. But, but how is exactly is this going to happen? I am a virgin, so how, how is this going to be fulfilled? So I think, I think Mary's just asking an honest question. I believe you, but how do we proceed from here? As I think is at the heart of the question. She, she's walking by faith. You know, I think, I think just by way of illustration, I was trying to think of something, but, but she just believes... She's not questioning in unbelief. She's believing the promise of God. You and I can do the same thing. Whether it's a promise from somebody or whether it's a warning. You know, think about when you see the, the weathermen in our state and, they, and they, 
and they issue a tornado warning, and it's very specific, and it's coming towards your place, you know, the wise thing to do is, I believe it. <laughs> and, and so how do, we, how do we show that we believe it? Well, we take precautions. As opposed to, I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe what they're saying unless I see it. Well, by that time, it's going to be too late. You know, we, and we approach God's Word the same way. How, how can we tell if we really believe God's Word? You know, whether it's a warning or whether it's a promise, it's by obedience. And so we're going to see, I think we're going to see how much that she really does believe by at the, the more we read about her, that she has got a heart that desires to obey God. But I think with this first question, it's just an honest question. I'm a virgin, Lord. How, how is this going to happen? And so that leads us into the next, Gabriel's response in, in chapter in, uh or the second point in verses 35 through 37. And we'll take it one verse at a time. So Gabriel answers. The angel answered and said to her in verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. So, subpoint number one. In his answer is the Holy Spirit. That's the answer. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So church, this language is just strictly, it's simply speaking about it. It's just a special creative influence of the Holy Spirit. That's, what, that's all this language is. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to change the order and course of nature. Right? How things ordinarily, ordinarily happen. And what do we call that, guys? When, when God, because God has the power and the prerogative to do that, right? He's got laws set in motion. His laws. And, and every now and then, he'll, he'll break into His creation and go against His own laws. We call that a miracle. So that's what we see here. This is a miracle in that sense. Really going against the, the laws of nature. Um, basically, in, in forming and creating this baby in the womb without the help of a man. That's all that's going on here. His body, this baby's body, would be created by the direct power of God. That's, that's what all this language is about the Most High will overshadow you. Uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's just this direct, creative power from the Holy Spirit. And that shouldn't surprise us as Christians, right? The creative power of God. Isn't it funny, guys, when, when people ask you, as a Christian, when, when a skeptic asks, you know, like, how could this be? <laughs> it's like God created the universe. I think He can create a little body for a baby and place it in a womb. And so as Christians, we believe that, right? We see the Spirit involved in the act of creation. In the virgin's womb, that's what we see. Just like, he, just like He was at the beginning. In Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, we see the Spirit right there at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. That just simply tells us, guys, that the Holy Spirit was there at the beginning. He was, he was part of the agency of creation. We see examples in the Scripture where the Son was as well. And so, and then he says in that verse, for that reason the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. Still in verse 37. For that reason the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. You know, and, and that's really important, guys, that He is referred to as the Holy Child. You know, every other child that's been born couldn't say that about. We've all been born. Every single one of us, we've been born in Adam. Have we not? And we are born because of Adam's sin, because of the fall, we are born with a corrupt nature. Not so with this child. But we know that we are born with a corrupt nature due to Adam's sin. It says sin came into the world. Death through sin. The creation itself is under the curse of God. In Psalm 51.5, David says, In sin, my mother conceived me. And we know that that's not... He's not speaking about the act of the way he was conceived. No, it's in sin. I was born. I was conceived in sin. Romans 5.19 Paul says, through the one man's disobedience. Who is that? 
That's Adam. Through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. You know, people don't like to hear that. That we are made sinners because of Adam's sin. But what they fail to realize is that the only way they can be made righteous is because of somebody else's obedience. Christ. But this child is holy. This child is holy. It just simply means the language of this verse that God, the the Holy Spirit to be exact, God the Holy Spirit prepared Him a body and placed Him in her womb. That's That's the... this miraculous conception. And because of that, He's pure and holy. And so the question we ask, guys, and there's a mystery to it, okay? How exactly was Christ, how was He protected from being born with a sin nature? There's a a mystery to the virgin birth on how exactly He was protected from being born with a sin nature. Well, I know the, the, the one thing we know for sure it's, it's that His body came directly from God. The Holy Spirit created this body, put it in the womb, and so it wasn't produced through ordinary generation, is the word. Ordinary, you know, through a man and a woman. And so some say, I, I read about ten books several months ago to try to find the answer to this question, to see, and, and really, uh, having read all that, the only thing that that we know for sure is that it, because God directly created this body is how He escaped the corruption of the fall. Because some will say, well, sin must be passed down from the man. But Scripture never says that. Scripture never says, well, He was sinless just because He didn't have an earthly father. And that, meaning that, that, that the sin nature must be passed down through the man. There are some who think that, but it never, it never tells us that because... Right? I mean, Mary is just as sinful as any man. And so, I don't think that's necessarily accurate. Both are sinners. Men and women were all sinners. I think, I think all we can say is because in that miracle, there's, in that, that, that miracle that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and that this body was produced directly by God, that He protected Him from the corruption of the fall that we all experience uh, through the through the ordinary means of um, a, a husband and a wife having intercourse. That's all we know. We don't know exactly how God did it. So it's a it's a miraculous conception, and there is there is a mystery to it. But you know, guys, there there's a mystery in a sense to all conceptions that happen. Listen to this language in Ecclesiastes eleven five. Solomon says this, just as you do not know the path of the wind, right? We, we don't know the path of the wind. We can't see it. We, we don't understand it. He says, just as you know, just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes things. Do you hear the mystery in that, guys? We can't fully comprehend even how the wind blows. We can't fully comprehend how the bones are formed in the womb when God is creating this little, this little life in Rachel's womb right now. We can't explain how He's doing that. There's a mystery even to that. But we're not, we're not meant to understand all things and be able to comprehend all things. So He says, if you can't even understand, you can't even know those things just as you don't know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes, who makes things. These are things that we just don't fully comprehend. And how much more so? We can't fully comprehend the virgin birth. But we're called to accept it by faith and believe it. And we're going to see here in just a moment why it's so important. This doctrine of the virgin birth is very important. It's essential. And so how, how arrogant the skeptics are. I don't have another word for it, but just arrogance and audacity. That's impossible. How could God do that? And so what do they say? I don't understand how, so I refuse to believe it. 
That's a foolish road to go down. And, and, and beloved, that should never be us. As, as God's people, that should never be us. The Word was made flesh. That should be enough right there. God's Word says that God, who is the Word, put on flesh. Listen to Hebrews 10 verse 5. Therefore, when He comes into the world, He says, this is, this is the Son, right? This is, this is Trinitarian language. This is a conversation within the, within the triune God. The Son speaking either to the Father or to the Holy Spirit. Both. Therefore, when He comes into the world, He says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. A body you have prepared for Me. Again, that should be enough right there. I can't explain how this happens. But, but God prepared a body for Him and placed it in the womb. Listen to Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son. Remember the language in the, in the, in the, in the confession? The eternal Son of God, right? He didn't come into existence in the womb of Mary. No. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, who's eternal, born of a woman. Why is it important that He was born of a woman? Because to be truly man, He had to be born of a woman. So that's very important. This verse is full of, of, of the... Uh, oh, it, it's, it's full of the essential truth of the virgin birth right here in Galatians 4.4. He sent forth His Son, the eternal Son of God, born of a woman, so that He's truly human just like you and I, born under the law. Why is that important, guys? <laughs> yeah, listen to what he says next. So that he might redeem those who are under the law. We're born under the law. We're born under the law. Under the requirements of the law. The standard has never changed, even since Adam. Adam was told to obey, and he disobeyed. And the same standard is for us. If you obey God's law perfectly, you have life. If you fail, you're under the curse of the law. We have failed. Jesus comes along, born of a woman. Still eternal God, but born of a woman. God adds an additional nature to Him. Now He is truly God and truly man. He was born under the law, just like Adam, just like us. The same requirements for Christ. Somebody has to keep the law. And so He was born under the law, under the requirements of the law, so that He might redeem those, us, who were under the law, who have broken the law, and therefore are under the curse of the law. We are under the curse of the law because we've broken it, have we not? How many times have we made, have we put other gods before Him? First commandment, you should have no other gods before Me, right? We put things ahead of God. We have been idolaters Especially in the days before we come to Christ, we're constant idolaters. Worshiping other things instead of the one true God. You should have no idols. Commandment number two. No graven images. No idols. This, is, this was idolatry language. We, we, we create gods even in our own minds. That doesn't represent the one true God. How many times have we used God's name in vain? The third commandment, right? And we know there's many ways to do that. Use His name as a filth word. Be a, be a professed Christ with your lips and live a life of hypocrisy. That's using His name in vain. We're guilty. Have we always honored the Lord's day? No, we haven't. The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Have we always done that? No. Have we always obeyed mom and dad? No. This is what it means to be under the law. And the law demands perfection and we fall short. We are sinners. You shall not murder the sixth commandment. But we know that the Word of God says whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Whoever is angry with his brother without cause is guilty of murder. We're guilty. The seventh commandment. Jesus said if you look at someone with lust, you're already guilty of adultery. We're guilty. We're under the law. The law condemns us. You shall not steal. Who of us have not stolen? <laughs> Isn't it always interesting when you ask somebody if they've ever stolen? It's always a long time ago. It's 
never, it's always, well, yeah, but that was a long time ago. But time doesn't erase sin. We're guilty. Ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness. How many lies have we told? We can't count them, right? We lie from the very time we're little. Why? Because, because men are estranged from the womb. We go astray from birth speaking lies. It comes naturally. And then you shall not covet the tenth commandment. Who of us can say we're not guilty of desiring something that somebody else has? Just because they have it. We are sinners. We're under the law. We're under the curse of the law. Cursed are those. The Bible says in Galatians 3.10, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. That's us. We're guilty. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. He obeyed the law perfectly in His life. That's called His act of obedience. He obeyed God's law. Never broke it. Ever. He loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind and his neighbor as himself all the days of his life. Right? Without sin. Tempted in all points without sin. And then he, he, he fulfilled the law by, by, by taking the curse of the law in our place. And so that's why this is so important, guys. I don't need all the details, guys. You and I do not need all the details of how this virgin birth occurred. We don't need to be able to fully comprehend it, but we must, by faith, believe it. Because it is essential. What do sinners need to understand instead of arguing about things that they can never fully comprehend? They need to understand that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and He can save you. The Son of God who, who put on human flesh came to save sinners like you. His virgin birth is essential, beloved. That's what we're seeing. His virgin birth is essential because it was necessary that our Savior be these three things which all are implied in the virgin birth. That He be a man. That He be fully man. And we see that. right? Born of a woman. He was truly man. That He be sinless. And He was sinless because He came directly from God. He was protected from original sin. From the corruption of the fall. Tempted in all points yet without sin, and that He be God. And He was God. God of gods. Truly God. Truly man. All are essential truths that are within this doctrine of the virgin birth. The virgin birth is not something to be... It's not a, it's not a secondary doctrine. It is essential. Because if somebody denies the virgin birth, they throw all of this out the door. We don't have the Gospel. And so that's what we see in His first... And Gabriel's response that, that the Holy Spirit came upon her. Secondly, guys, we see what I, what I worded in here, just additional encouragement in verse 36. Some additional encouragement from the angel, from God to Mary. You guys ever think of that, how gracious God is? God is so gracious to us. And you know, He understands how weak we are, guys. You know, we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in just a few moments. And Calvin made a quote about the Lord's Supper, and I'm just paraphrasing it, but I remember him saying something along the lines of, God knows how weak we are, and He gave us this ordinance, the Lord's Supper, for example, just to help us with our weak faith. Because to have something visual that we see, to touch. You know, when we eat the bread and drink the wine or the juice, to have something tangible right here to remind us every time we do it of what Jesus did for us. It's just it's God coming down to our level in a sense and, and just helping us with our faith. That's why He gave us this ordinance. We're to remember Him. And it, and it strengthens our faith. And so I think that's in the same way, through the angel, the, the Lord is seeking to further encourage Mary that this promise would be fulfilled in verse 36. Look at verse 36. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. So, so through, the, through the angel, the Lord is, is seeking to, to encourage Mary even further that this promise is going to be fulfilled. You will bear a son. Look at this, Mary. 
Not only do you have the promise of, of God, of the Word of God, which the angel just gave her, which obviously that's what we, that's really the only thing we need, but he says, even your relative, because Mary evidently wasn't aware of this yet, even your relative Mary, the one who's barren, now the one who's old and past childbirth, even, did you know she's six months pregnant? That's what he's saying to her. Strengthening her faith. Encouraging her. The grace of God is what we see here. And so, brother, can I just tell you that God loves you? As His child, that God is so gracious. And God does the same thing for us. He helps us in our weak faith. He understands. He understands. He understands, guys, I think it's a, and we see it in the Scriptures, a great prayer is, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I'm weak. God understands that. You know, I think about evidences that He gives us of, uh, of our salvation. He could just have it in His Word. Hey, if you believe in Christ, you repent of your sins, you're saved. And that's enough. We should believe that. But it's amazing how God, He gives us, first of all, objective evidences in His Word, but even, I would call them, I guess, subjective evidences that we can look at our life and see how it's been transformed. You know, for example, if I think of the book of 1 John. It's such, a, it's such a comforting book to be able to, for a young believer to say, yes, I truly have passed from death to life. 1 John 3.14 By this, we know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. Isn't that a great promise? I remember being converted. If you were converted as an adult, you probably have more understanding of this. Because before I was my conversion, I, I didn't want to be around Christians. I just felt really uncomfortable around them. I thought they were weird, religious. But isn't it amazing when you come to Christ and all of a sudden, I just found myself desiring to be with these people. <laughs> that's, a, that's a grace of God. That, that that promise is in His Word and we can look at that promise and then experientially look at it in our life. Say, man, I, and, it, and it strengthens your faith. You know, the, the Word of God that we once... that was just dead to me. Just There's nothing more boring that you could ever read. And, and, and to, I had this hunger and thirst for work, for this Word. And so these are this is just God and His grace Comforting us. Comforting Mary. Mary, you have my promise. And then you even have your relative here. Your translation may say cousin. may say relative. There's really... That, that word relative, really, it's just kind of a general term. And so, there's good possibility that they were cousins, but nobody knows for sure. But uh, that's, that's not really that important. Verse 37, we see thirdly in Gabriel's response, God's omnipotence. God's omnipotence. That text that we read in Genesis, we don't need to turn back there in our Scripture reading. Whenever the angel the angel of the Lord was telling Abraham, you know, that hey, uh, Sarah's going to conceive, bear a son. And, um, and, and you remember that question, guys, though, that was in that same text? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? That's what the angel told Abraham. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And so we... We see here in verse 37, very similar language. For nothing will be impossible with God. You know, and another thing I want to mention from the last point we looked at, that not only did the angel tell Mary that Elizabeth was pregnant now, but also because of her knowledge of the Old Testament, she would have had this, she would have had this in her mind as well. But yeah, God, God did answer uh, Abraham's Give Abraham and Sarah a child. But it's interesting that's the same kind of language, really the same context in the birth, of a, the birth of a child. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And in our text here, nothing will be impossible with God. Do we believe that, guys? Do we believe that? Now, we have to make qualifications with that statement. Nothing is impossible with God, but we have to make this qualification that which he resolves to do or according to his will. Or in other words, nothing is impossible with God. In other words, nothing that is beyond his word. Right? What do I mean by that? I think you guys probably know what I mean. But 
For example, Titus chapter 1, verse 2, it says God cannot lie, right? It's impossible for God to lie. So when we, when we see that language, it's that, that it's, nothing is impossible with God, we know that it's within His own nature, within His own will. That's what we see here, guys. Did you know, guys, that there is no sin, there is no sin too big, no sin too dark, that God cannot forgive, that God cannot pardon? Nothing is impossible with God. There is no work that God gives you, that God gives me, that's within His will that is too hard for you to do. Because it's through Him, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's through Christ who strengthens me. God supplies, in other words. His, His grace is sufficient, guys. No matter what God allows you to go through, no matter what God brings into your life by way of suffering, by way of trial, God's grace is sufficient. That's what we see until the Apostle Paul. Jesus said in John 15.5 that without me you can do nothing. So nothing is impossible with God. Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. We know that this isn't according to God's will. Persecution, suffering, trials, poverty, these type of things. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And only through Him. We can accomplish what, he, what task He gives us to do. We can obey God through Christ who strengthens me. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 4 real quick. It's, it's, it's three verses, so you can either flip over there or just listen. In Philippians chapter 4, or not Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Just some encouraging verses for you guys. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Right, guys? This is all language of Him being an actual man. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Just be encouraged by these kind of verses, guys. That because Christ, He was our high priest, He's sympathetic, being, being born of a woman, he, he suffered as a man just like you and I do. Many ways, much more. But He was tempted. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to, uh, to hurt, to have pain, to be hungry. He, he, he understands these things and He's sympathetic and, and, and it says we can draw near. Not just that we can draw near, but you can draw near with confidence. When you go to the throne of grace, guys, go with confidence that He hears you. Go with confidence, not only that He hears, but that He cares. He's sympathetic to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How often do you, do you guys, do we need mercy and grace in our time of need? I would say all the time. It's not just during big things. So storm the throne of grace with your petitions and pour out your heart to God even if you're so distraught you don't even have a sentence to put together. We know that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. So nothing is impossible with God, guys. There's great comfort in that when it's according to His will. You have a lost loved one in your life. You know, no heart is too wicked to be changed. Right? He can take the heart of stone out and give the heart of flesh. You think of Saul of Tarsus? I'm so thankful for that story in the Bible we talked about last week in Quipping Hour. Just the, the hostility that he had towards Christ and the church. If there was ever a man that you would say, ah, he's, not, he's not worth saving, Lord. He's too far gone. He hates you too much. He's, he's your enemy. But yet God does save him. And so, you know, he says in Matthew, the text, Trish and I read this morning, 
that, that, that talking about the subject of, of, of saving people, with, with, with man it's impossible. It, salvation's impossible with man, period. No matter who it is. But with God, all things are possible. That's what Christ told His disciples. All things are possible in this area. Nobody is too far gone to save. God is powerful and mighty to save guys. Nothing is impossible with God. Don't ever think that He's too far gone. I give up on Him. Okay? Pray. We talked about that in this section. Pray and don't give up. Uh, at some point within the last few weeks, pray and don't give up. God, God is at work. Nobody's too far gone to save, okay? So there's a lot of things we can learn from this. And so all of these things, guys, that we talk about, it, it, all of these things, got trials and, 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 and temptations and hurts and loved ones who don't know Christ and all of these things are meant to draw you near to Him, okay? We don't always know. We can't figure out all these things, but we know that trials are meant to conform us to Christ. Okay, so thank God for trials for that reason. And then <clears throat> last, guys, we're going to see Mary's resolve. Mary's resolve here. We're going to really begin to see her faithfulness in, verses, or in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So the angel's job was done. He departed. But Mary's resolve or her resolution, either either word to be fine. First of all, we see this language that she called, she says, she refers to herself as a bond slave of the Lord. Hey, not the queen of heaven. <laughs> like the Roman Catholic Church teaches. Oh no, quite the opposite. She sees herself as a slave to the Lord. A slave to the Lord. Ready to obey the Lord is what that language is. She is ready to obey. And what is beautiful about this, guys, when, you really, when we really look at this, this is extraordinary faith on Mary's part. That's why, back to her original question, we know that it was not an unbelief. She was believing because we can really see this, the, the, her faith coming out right here. It is, she is ready to obey without hesitation. That's a rare thing, guys. That is a rare thing. Can this be said about you? Can it be said about me? That we're ready to obey God without hesitating. Without questioning. Listen to three individuals in the Old Testament, guys. These were what you would call great men of God, faithful men of God, beginning with Moses. Moses was referred to as the, the meekest man on earth. And so when God... When God called Moses to go to Pharaoh, right? He gave, him a, he gave him a job to do. Go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that I said, let my people go. You remember what Moses said? Exodus 4 verse 10, I have never been eloquent. Excuse. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Excuse. Hesitation. Now I'm not pointing my finger at Moses. I do the same thing. So we see Moses. Yeah, he ended up obeying God, but there was hesitation. In, Gideon, in Judges chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, we see Gideon. The Lord says to Gideon, Go and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian, one of Israel's enemies. Have I not sent you? That's what he's saying to him. He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is least in Manasseh. Excuse. And I am the youngest in my father's house. So I'm the youngest in the least of the families. I can't do this. Now he ended up obeying, but we see there's hesitation. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1, 5 and 6. The Lord says, Before I formed you, Jeremiah, in the womb I knew you and consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then he said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. <laughs> how often I've been guilty of this. I'm just a youth. So you see the hesitation. All these men who ended up obeying. But you know what was interesting, guys? With all of these accounts, uh, in those conversations that the Lord eventually said, you're going to go and I'll be with you. That's the promise we have, guys. When God calls us to do something, He is with us. His presence is with us. 
His presence, His, His wisdom, He's there to give you boldness. It's not our strength that we go in. It's His. But Mary, guys, we see no hesitation. We see Mary is satisfied with His Word. What does she say in verse 38? May it be done to me according to Your Word. There's no arguing with Mary. May it be done to me according to Your Word. You know what she's convinced of, guys? She is convinced of the Word of God. She is convinced of the power of God. Why do many people... Why do, people, why do many people not evangelize? I think, I think a lot of times we'll say, well, fear, and that's true. But I think one of the major reasons is because people aren't convinced of the power of God. They're not convinced of Romans 1.16. The power of God, or the Gospel, is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. If we believe that, then we should put feet to our actions. You hand out gospel tracts? What is a gospel tract going to do? Well, if we believe Romans 1.16 and it has the gospel in it, then that can be the power of God unto salvation of somebody. That's what we see with Mary. She's not arguing with God. We see her just responding in obedience. We see her resolve here to obey God regardless of the cost. Regardless of the cost. We have to remember the context, the setting here. Okay, the angel saying, you're going to conceive and bear a son, and Mary's going, uh, I'm a virgin. Think about what that entails. She had, that means she had never been with Joseph, right? That doesn't come until the consummation of the marriage. Obviously, Joseph knows they haven't been together, and she's going to end up pregnant. And you think about all these things would be going through her mind. And she says, let it be done to me according to your word. I don't know how Joseph's going to respond. He might divorce me. We can see that in his thoughts in Matthew. Did you know the death penalty for adultery was still in effect? The law in Deuteronomy 22-23, although it, was, it didn't seem to be carried out often, it was still there. She's thinking, I may get stoned to death for adultery. Just her shame and reputation within the community. All of these things would have been going through her mind. But what is she saying? May it be done to me according to your word. I am your bond slave. I will obey. Do you see, the, do you see her faith? Do you see her commitment to obey God regardless of the cost? That's what Jesus calls us to. Count the cost and follow me. And we see this in Mary's life. By faith, guys, in, in, in closing, by faith, she recognized the will of God and she accepted it. And she was willing to walk in it. Mary didn't have to understand the mystery of the virgin birth. We didn't see her arguing about that. She didn't have to understand the mystery of it to accept it. Can you and I be content with the revealed will of God? God has given us so much in His Word that is clear, that is revealed, right? Deuteronomy 29.29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. God has plenty in His Word that's easy to understand, maybe more difficult to obey. And so can we be content with just obeying what God has revealed and by faith even though we may not fully comprehend everything, accept those things that are more His secret will. I don't know who God's elect are. I don't need to know. I've been told to go preach and God will save whom He's going to save. Mary obviously had counted the cost of believing. That's what we see in this text. That's the beautiful, kind of really back to our, back to our statement on, on, at the top of your outline that we can apply to our lives, that we can emulate Mary. Mary obviously had counted the cost of believing, trusting, and obeying God. And that's what God calls us to. It really is. That's what He calls us to. And it's worth it, is it not? Is it not worth following Christ? 
It is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. No, nobody enjoys being rejected. Nobody enjoys having people think you're just kind of odd and strange. Nobody enjoys maybe losing intimate, close relationships that you had before, but it's worth it. We don't set out to try to cause those things to happen, but they're just part of counting the cost and following Christ. And so, beloved, it's worth it. It's worth it to trust God, to believe God, and to obey God. And so we, you and I need to have the same resolve that we see in Mary's life. The same resolution that she has in her faith. And then I just want to close with, with this statement here. It's a quote by Jonathan Edwards. He says, I have two resolutions. Resolution one, I will live for God. That's a good one. Resolution two, if no one else does, I still will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your clear Word, Your revealed will for us to repent, to believe, to follow Christ, to believe Your promises that are true about us as, as Your people in Your Word, God, to walk by faith, not by sight, Father, You have not called us to be able to understand all the deep mysteries of Your Word. You have called us to obey that which is clear and to by faith follow after You. And then You will reveal more truth to us as we grow. Lord, we thank You for this, this account in Your Word and seeing Mary's strong faith that we, can, that we can copy, that we can apply to our lives, God. I pray for everybody here, Lord, for those who may hear it that we will be like Mary, our sister in Christ, that we will be quick to obey, Lord, that we will not find ourselves arguing with You about things that we can't fully comprehend, but simply bowing to the truth of Your Word and following after our Savior. Father, be with us these next few moments as we, as we remember the death of our Savior on the cross His broken body and spilt blood. Lord, may... May you strengthen our faith through this, God. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.